This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I'm so fired up for today because we have Austin Ye on the program. He is a real estate investor. He's out of Toronto. He's 25 years old, 20 rental properties. And get this, he still lives at home. This is an incredible story you don't want to miss. Uh, there's a few things going on here. One, it's just an incredible investment uh, journey, right? right? That's the story's great. Uh, he started in 2017. Uh, in three years, he's acquired 20 doors. Yep. Of course, that takes hard work, grit, determination, all the rest. But really, it's a story about building teams, building systems, really having everything, uh, you know, really, I mean, learning from his mistakes very quickly. And he outlined some of his mistakes. But this is a blueprint for how to grow a portfolio quickly yes. and lucratively. You won't want to miss our talk with Austin Ye, that's for sure. There's some phenomenal tips. And, you know, it was it was only about a year ago or so where we, we gave a, a, a talk to uh, at UBC to a bunch of uh, university students right. in the business program. And one of the things I remember is I remember all of them asking at the end kind of like, how do you get started in real estate investing? And, and there was some frustration in the room about – this idea of Vancouver being an expensive market, right? And I, I think this is it. It's like Austin lives in Toronto, 
right? He's in an expensive market. It didn't stop him from finding the markets that he could operate in and, and finding cash flow. And he's continuing to find cash flow. So this is, uh, this is one that everybody needs to listen to today, whether you're, you know, uh, a Gen Z or a millennial or, uh, Gen X or whatever. Or a boomer. Yeah. Or, or, <laughs> Or you too, boomer. Uh, but definitely, it's uh, it's going to be across the board interesting. Especially the boomers out there. Especially the boomers out there. Uh, but yeah, what else do we got, Matt, before we cut to our interview with Austin? Uh, what else do we have? We have a few things. One is um, we're in the third week of November. Yeah. Uh, it's I beginning think- to feel a lot like the holidays around here. Right, right. <laughs> I like what you did there. And here... Here's the thing. We're just uh we just heard that there's going to be some kind of an announcement tomorrow from uh probably Bonnie. Do you not feel like there's a disconnect like what I'm just seeing right now is like there's it's like crazy swings, right? Like right. at my house, I think like your house like it's like eggnog came 6 weeks early this year. Yeah. Uh it feels like everybody's hunkering down for Christmas and holidays. Right. Um and yet like there's the Pfizer and Moderna uh, developments and the stock market seems to be going crazy, but everything seems to be slowing down. Um, it's it's a strange time. And yeah. you know what? I think the other thing that's interesting- Like about the real estate is, market's busy, but you don't want to leave your house. Like it's just a weird, a weird moment. It is a weird moment. And I, I do think uh, everyone I've been talking to is kind of getting their home. Like it's, it's also been cold in Vancouver. It's been right. rainy. And uh, I think like- People are really kind of almost getting back into sweatsuits and uh, getting comfortable, getting the fireplace on. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like the holidays are going to be eight weeks of like people probably working from home, but also probably drinking rum and eggnog while they do, do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a strange um, – it's it's definitely a strange moment. But there's one thing I think we can bet on for sure, and that's that you're going to come out of this about 20 pounds heavier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you specifically. Uh, but here's, here's – here. did you mean me specifically? When you no, 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 the listener. The, the, the listener, listener, yeah. Um, here's Here's – Especially with gyms closed now. I know. This is like a perfect – it's like a perfect – we often talk about the perfect storm happening yeah. to downtown, but it's really – Sabrina, a couple, I couple, should say. A couple maybe. perfect storms. S- Sabrina got a Peloton. I don't know if I told you that, but you did I, not. Did, I did not. I, I like, feel like you you guys no got a way. Peloton. A friend, another friend of ours got uh, – Like a – what was yeah, it? it's like the new version of Bowflex. a nineties <laughs> like a Bowflex. Bowflex. He's like, you know, you need a Bowflex. So it's like, get out of here. Yeah, no, you know what though? I think uh, I think it's weird. The Peloton thing's kind of contagious because if you meet somebody who has a Peloton, all they do is talk about how great it is. Yeah, and then by the end of it, you're like, ah, that's the missing link. Is I need a Peloton, but you don't. You don't. You just need to stop cramming eggnog in your face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, I, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to resist the urge to 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 get something like that because I feel like once we're back to normal, you're going back to the gym. Oh man, I'm going back to those classes. <laughs> <laughs> that was like so. I was <laughs> that. That was amazing. That was like a, you, you've never been to a gym or know. a class. Once we where get out you, of this where thing. Where are you going back? You're like, what? <laughs> I'll have to get a membership first. Yeah, but. yeah. Anyways, um, okay. Oh, but yeah, the reason uh, the reason we're talking about this in the first place is because it feels like we're entering into the holiday period uh, in mid-November. We're trying to bang out a bunch of episodes here. And man, yeah. we've been hard at work. We have. We've done about four or five interviews this week, including today. 
We had David Green on the show. This is uh, the co-host of wildly popular podcast out of the U.S. called Bigger Pockets. You might have uh, heard of it. It's I would say it's the largest real estate podcast in, in the, the world. In the world. Yeah, in the world. And David Green. We didn't is ask a, him that, but I think it is. No, I think I think that's pretty safe to say. He's an author. He's an agent. He's a speech, speaker. He's a coach. He's also a real estate and loan broker. Um, David's written two best-selling books on real estate, and uh, his episode absolutely did not disappoint. No, he knocked um, it out of the park. It's, yeah. cra- it's crazy. Like, you know, you often hear people say level up, but uh, whew, yeah, that was uh, a good one. It, it is absolutely going to be a great show. That's coming in in, uh, in the next few weeks. We also just had Corey Wright back on the program. Corey Wright is a rock star commercial broker. He has offices all across BC. He's the he's the head guy. He's the managing broker at William Wright Commercial Real Estate Services. And Corey actually, not only did he co-host the episode with David Green, but then we had him on talking about opportunities in the market, what's going on in the commercial market, um, things he's excited about, why he's very bullish on uh, a variety of different real estate markets in BC. That episode is going to be phenomenal as well. Yeah. I mean, and that's only two of maybe six that we can think of. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So stay tuned. It's going to be, everybody's going to be locked down in December, but these episodes are going to be, this is another uh, example of this, right? These episodes are all kind of action inspiring episodes. Well, you can't leave your house and uh, and you're sipping on eggnog. I mean, I think this is the biggest thing is I, I agree. I feel like everybody now is hunkering down. But one thing for sure, this is the time of the year where you want to be regrouping for 2021, right? I mean, this is when you want to start. It starts now. Yeah, it starts now. It's. Uh, I feel like that's, and I feel like that's actually happening uh, with a lot of people I'm talking about. They're, they're kind of thinking like, what what's going to happen in 2021? And it might be a few weeks or so before people actually start goal setting, but this is that time of year. Absolutely. Yeah. And these podcasts will inspire, no doubt about it. Okay, but before we get to our talk with Austin Ye, one more thing, Adam, of course. We are sponsored this week by Oakland Realty. That is our brokerage. If right. you're a new agent, an aspiring agent, uh, somebody who's been around the block a couple times but looking to make a change, Oakland Realty is a place for you. One of the fastest growing businesses in Canada, I think. But I'll tell you it one is. thing. The resources, uh, the the culture – uh, the people, you know, Michael Yu, the, the founder of Oakland, uh, uses the phrase iron sharpens iron. And I'll tell you, this is a, this is a place where there's a lot of iron lying around. <laughs> a lot of iron. <laughs> sounds like, sounds like your home gym. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> um, it, it is, it is absolutely that place though. Yeah. It is, uh, you, you, I feel like, I feel like you're always, I mean, there's a lot of great agents in the city of Vancouver and they're not all at Oakland, of course. Um, but there are, I'm, I'm always excited to see another Oakland agent on the other side of a transaction because you know that generally speaking, um, you know, they've had good training, they've had good resources and they're, they've, they're usually a pleasure to work with. So we're really happy to be at the brokerage. So if you're interested in learning more about Oakland Realty, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020, that's oakland.com slash join VRP 2020. Presumably that code is going to change. If they still sponsor us in 2021. Yeah. I think we're going to add a one to that code. I hope we add an E as well because (laughs) the VRP is really confusing. Uh, The other thing I'll mention about Oakland is that if you do sign up, oakland.com slash join with our code, you will get a holiday surprise. It's a huge surprise, but uh, 
I'll give holiday you themed. It is holiday themed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's spiced. It's it's very spiced. But uh, but without further ado, let's uh, let's cut to our talk with Austin Ye. This is uh, I feel like we haven't talked to a, an investor like this in a long time. It's very exciting to have him on the show. So enjoy, enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Austin Ye, real estate investor out of the Toronto area. How are you doing, Austin? Not too bad. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, no, thanks for taking the time today, Austin. Um, we first learned about you uh, from an article in Toronto Life about uh, a young guy getting, wait a second, up to 20 doors. Uh, uh, 20 doors, right. I was going to say, how many doors was it? It was it was more than I could imagine. Maybe can <laughs> you start by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, yeah. So I guess I'll take it all the way back. Um so I was born and raised in Scarborough. Um, it's, a, it's an area in Toronto. Uh, parents immigrated here from India. A typical immigrant, uh, immigrant story where they're working blue-collar jobs trying to make ends meet. So my family really kind of instilled frugality in my life. And as I was growing up, I would get used to like coupon shopping and things of that nature. And with all of my Chinese New Year money, Christmas money, birthday money, my parents created a bank account but never gave me a debit or credit card. So all of that money would get stored away and I would save it. Um, And as I got older and older, uh, I decided that, hey, you know what? Like I want to be a doctor and dentist because they make 250K plus. And uh, that sounded pretty sweet to me. (laughs) I didn't have a lot growing up. So, you know, money money was definitely a big motivator. Um, But as I took my science courses, I realized that that wasn't the path that was right for me. And I did well in business. So I decided, what the hell, you know what, like business seems easy enough. I'm getting good grades in it. So maybe I'll just pursue down that path and ended up getting a scholarship scholarship at the University of Toronto um, and worked a bunch of internships, uh, great internships from consulting, auditing, strategy in in some of the big companies out there. Um, But I wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled with life. And there was always kind of a sense of emptiness. Because I, I just couldn't imagine this is what life was all about. I wasn't passionate in any of these things I was doing. And every Sunday, I would get the Sunday blues. I'd wake up and be like, crap, I have to go to work the next day. And that feeling just never faded away. Um, so when I worked my first full-time job out of grad at uh, RBC, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to start investing my money. And I dabbled around in weed stocks. We know that didn't go too well. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I lost a ton of money there. I lost about $4,000 in weed stocks. Um, didn't better do better than diligent. losing four thousand just to weed. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. The Adam Salina story. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, uh, I risk, I reward. Um, so yeah, I, I ended up dabbling in weed stocks and uh, lost money there, and was kind of discouraged. But I was just trying to do some research and find out what are ways that people can retire earlier, create passive income, and of course, the first thing that popped up was real estate investing. And from there, I had about $40,000 saved. Again, like this is through all my internships. Um, I was working a summer job throughout all of high school. This was with all saving my money throughout my childhood. Had about 40 grand saved after paying down my tuition. So not too, uh, not too bad, but obviously couldn't buy anything in Toronto. Um, similar probably to you guys out there in Vancouver, 40 grand doesn't get you very far. Um, so I started looking for other markets around the area and I ran across the city of Windsor and uh, it was only 130k for a single family house, and that's really where the journey began. Um, it was just like an unfulfillment of life, uh, having some money saved up, and wanting to change my circumstances and kind of 
pivoting from trying to make the most money to just trying to make passive income so I can enjoy my life. It's interesting because you said you, so. Your parent, if I understand correctly, so um, your last name. So y- your your parents are originally well, they're Chinese, but they're, yeah. they immigrated to India before immigrating to Canada. Is that correct? No, no. So actually, they were born and raised in India. Okay, born and raised <laughs> in India. Okay. Yeah, my grandma was born in India too. Uh, the generation before that immigrated from um, from from China over to India. Right. Yeah, I just I, I'm just thinking because like we we have a lot of friends that are are Chinese uh, Canadian that grew up with parents that wanted them to be a doctor or a lawyer or uh, mostly even a doctor or a dentist even, um, and then we have a lot of friends that are Indo Canadian that their parents wanted them to be a, a doctor or a dentist. So you fit the mold. You fit the mold. <laughs> how have yeah, your parents yeah. reacted to uh, just out of curiosity? How they've reacted to the the twenty properties in your your real estate journey so far? Yeah, so when I first started investing in real estate, um, I actually contacted a random real estate agent, the first agent that I found on the MLS in Windsor. And my dad, I told my dad, like, hey, you know what? I'm going to be looking at a couple of properties. Tag along with me. So we're taking a look at a couple of properties in Windsor. And the agent was just trying to sell us on any one of them. And my dad was more attached to, to the turnkey properties, which makes sense, right? Because we're newer investors, we don't know much. Um, and then my dad is obviously very risk adverse. So he was advising me often, like, put your money in the turnkey property. Um, and then he was also like, are you sure you want to do this? This might not be a good idea. And not only from my parents, but a lot of people were kind of, skeptical about what I was doing. So it made me lack a bit of confidence along the way. But nonetheless, even though I had a lot of pushback from people, whether that be jealousy or that's too high risk, it doesn't make sense to invest in real estate. And, you know, the typical stuff that we hear with people with limiting beliefs, um, I decided to go for it anyways. And I documented everything on social media. So whenever I went to a networking event, whenever I visited the property, took vacation days to stay over there and manage some renovations, everything was on Instagram. And then uh, as I started to kind of build that publicity up, uh, my parents started to take notice as well because I was featured on a couple of YouTube channels, a couple of podcasts. So uh, my parents, I don't know why it was weird. They just Googled me, my name, my full name, and they found a couple of links and watched through it. And I think that's when it really kind of turned around is when I was explaining to them what I was doing, they never understood. But for whatever reason, whenever I'm in media outlet features or on a podcast or on YouTube, it changes because I become... I, I'm, I'm positioned as an expert because I'm putting myself out there, right? right? So now they're much more supportive of everything. They're super surprised. They're happy and they're excited. But at the beginning, they were definitely very skeptical. And I wouldn't say they're, I mean, yeah, they let me do what I needed to do, but I wouldn't say they were particularly too fond of what I was doing. <laughs> so so maybe can we talk a little bit more about that first deal? Um, you know, first off, how old were you when you, when you pulled the trigger on the first one and can you kind of walk through because it sounds like you know we work with a lot of investors out here and we talk to a lot of aspiring uh, investors and and it's that first deal is kind of tricky because you're trying to figure out what exactly uh, a good investment for you looks like Uh, it's nerve-wracking you know pulling the trigger is tough can you just walk through that first deal absolutely yeah so the first deal I so a lot of new investors, by the way, they get stuck in analysis paralysis, right? Where they look at a bunch of deals, they want the perfect deal, but really your first deal for most people, it's never going to be the perfect one. It usually ends up being the worst deal. Um, and it's just the reality of how it's like to be an investor, right? The less experience you are, the, the less 
experience you are in analyzing deals, managing rentals and all of that and the sure. upside you'll get. But um, yeah, so that first deal picked it up for $130,000. It was a three bedroom detached single family house with one bath. And when I walked in the first time, um, I, I was just like, this requires paint and nothing more. So I thought the renovations would be 10K, maybe a bit of flooring, um, but I didn't know anything. And the second time I went around to walk through the property, by that time, I, I did some more research. I tried to understand renovations a bit more. And I walked through the second time and I was like, holy crap, like this is much more than I thought it would be. Because like now I have a more keen attention to detail. I understand what things are going to cost. And that ended up costing me like around 20 grand for the renovation, whereas I budgeted 10 grand. Um, so it doubled up. And I didn't have the money to fund that, um, to fund the 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 extra 10 K additional. Um, so then I had to go back to my parents and my girlfriend. And at this time, my girlfriend is in a lot of debt, right? Cause she came out of school as well as my parents, they're blue collar minimum wage workers are slightly above minimum wage. So giving $10,000 is pretty much asking them for half of their yearly salary after tax. Right. Um, so it wasn't an easy thing to do, but my back was against the wall. I didn't have lines of credit set up. So I really just needed liquidity. Um, so they helped fund the the additional renovations. And that additional renovations went to small plumbing fixes here and there, some electrical work. And I decided to make the property open concept. So some gutting up walls and, and opening, uh, opening up the space. Um, and yeah, so that renovation took about three months which was more than double the timeline I originally thought it would be because the contractor also kind of screwed me over. Uh, so the moral of the story right now is I never did any due diligence. So obviously do a bit more research than I did when I got, when I got started. And, but, um, and, and Austin, sorry to yep. to cut you off here, but so this was the deal was firm when you went back and realized you probably needed an extra 10 K, correct? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it was firm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that, that deal, that deal was a nightmare. Um, but, it, but it ended up working out. Like another thing with that deal is, is that there was 20 K of liens on the property. Right. Um, and the lawyer that I was using was advised to me by the agent I was using who both of them are terrible. Right. So, and they're related to each other, right. They're related to each other as well. Um, so like they're both, I think they were cousins or, or maybe siblings. So obviously going to look out for each other's best interests sign off on it and they're just like yeah it's fine like the the seller will pay it off right but like obviously we know that <laughs> if there's liens on the property the seller should pay it off before we close um and yeah uh, fortunately they did pay it down the liens but i it was just like a terrible first experience like everything went wrong um and after i finished all of the renovations of the property basically uh and after that i refinanced the property and i again i bought it for 130 um, I put in about 20 K worth of rentals. Uh, there was holding costs and all of that stuff. Let's say that's another five K. Uh, and I refinanced it at 178 grand. So it's about, I was able to pull out a good chunk of my money, not all of it, but like a good majority of my money. And on top of that, the tenant that I placed in, they paid one year rent up front on second thought. It might be a bit like skeptical. I wonder why they paid one year rent up front. I was still new to everything. Maybe it's like drug money. It probably was drug money, but like I didn't, I didn't question it. Um, so yeah, and then I took all of that money and bought a second property with it. Um, but that was kind of the first, the, the journey of the first property. And and how old were you when this, this all took place? I was 23. So that was two years ago. Wow. So, and mm-hmm. just, if I understand correctly, like the idea, like, <clears throat> We've talked about the Burr method on on our show a lot, but is that kind of the the process? So you're like buying, rehabbing, refinancing these places. 
Exactly. That's my, that's the only strategy I really implement is the burr. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So, okay. So wait, just, just, can you, can you kind of outline that for, for people who potentially uh, don't know the burr method? Yeah. So the burr is an acronym. Basically it stands for the B is buying. So buying an asset, buying a property, right? Generally, if you can buy an undervalued property, that is preferred. However, it's okay to buy a property at market value if you can complete some sort of renovation to drive the value of the property up. So the first B is just buying the asset. Um, the first R is renovating it. So once you buy the asset, you want to renovate it. That could mean adding extra bedrooms, extra washrooms, adding a legal secondary suite, um, making it open concept, whatever it is, just doing strategic renovations to the property. So that for every dollar you put in renovation, you want to drive more than $1 in value of the property. If you don't drive more than $1, that means you're actually putting in money for renovations and losing value. It's like negative ROI. Um, so that's the first R, renovate. The second R is to rent it out. Um, so once you renovate everything, obviously the purpose of this property is that you want to rent it out and collect passive, or it's not really going to be passive, but you want to collect income, cash flow, right? Um, so you rent it out. And then once you rent it out, you refinance it. So you go back to the bank and say, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Bank, um, you said that you lent me money for this property at this amount, but I did all of these renovations. What is this property worth? So the bank will send an appraiser and say, wow, the property value doubles, for example. And then now they will loan you, at least in Ontario, um, 80% loan to value of the new appraised value. And basically what happens is, is that, um, yes, your mortgage payment goes up because technically you are taking on more debt, um, but your cash flow should still cover the additional increase in mortgage payment. And on top of that, you get to pull out your money. So when you refinance it, you pull out your money and you're able to take that money and buy another property. So the last R is repeat. So you repeat that process again, again, and again until you get tapped out by the banks. So so just thinking uh, about that process and about that first deal that kind of went sideways by the sounds of things, um, presumably you're going to your, your family, you're asking for your backs against the wall, uh, you're 23 they were skeptical in the first place. Uh, the process takes a lot longer than you thought. It kind of sounds like, as you described it, basically a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> when can you talk a little bit about that moment when you're like, "Man, I want to do this again and again." <laughs> like it's it, it takes a lot of um, you know confidence uh, to to yeah. do that. <laughs> so what I would say, preface is by saying. With real estate, you can make all of the mistakes you want up front, but if you just hold the property, all of those mistakes are not going to mean anything in the grand scheme of things. In like 10 or 15 years, it's not going to mean anything because you're going to make much more money than the cost of the mistakes you made at the beginning. So that's one thing that I wrap my head around is that real estate is a long-term investment. It's, it's not a short-term investment. It's not even like that liquid, right? So you have to be in it for the long-term. That's how you build your wealth. Um, so at the time I realized that this was profitable was one, when I was doing more research and I understood that the mistakes I made were bought upon myself, not the asset class. It was investor risk, right? So there's the asset risk where the property has risk itself because maybe it's 200 years old and a lot could go wrong with it. But then there's also the investor risk, which is just being uneducated and unsavvy investor. I completely understood all the mistakes that I made where it had nothing to do with the asset class. There were me bringing those mistakes upon to myself because I was not educating myself enough. So one, I took accountability. And during that entire time, I continued educating myself and surrounding myself with huge real estate investors in Ontario. 
So it continued to give me that motivational push. And I realized that like, holy crap, this thing is profitable when I got it appraised at a higher value, despite everything going wrong. Right. And a lot of that, I, I got to give credit to appreciation because the market was going crazy. But um, I mean, yeah, like I understood once I tune up on my mistakes and learn from it and, and don't make these similar mistakes again, then I could definitely make a business out of this. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess at that point when I got it appraised, I was like, you know what, like I'm going to do this again and again. So in, in thinking about then the deals that you so you're are you currently at 20 doors then? Uh, yeah, I'm at 20 properties right now. OK, so. Are you still like, have all of them been in the Windsor area? Um, 18 of them in the Windsor area, two of them in Toronto. Two of them in Toronto. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm just kind of thinking in terms of like, we we're we're always talking about different markets on this program and how to analyze a market. So was Windsor really just the price point or were you analyzing from like, a, can you tell us a little bit why you kind of chose to go into that market? Yeah. So I can, so when I got into it, it was really just the price point that was attractive, right? Like I had 40 grand, couldn't get into any other market. And I still wanted to get into real estate investing. If I saved, if I sat down saving money for down payment, it would take me forever to invest in a market like Toronto or anywhere else. And I think small markets are a great way to accumulate wealth and cash flow in the short term um, until you want to get into one of those bigger markets. So it was just an easy entry point. But now as I'm more experienced and well uh, versed in Windsor, I understand there there are some strong fund- fundamentals in, in that city, right? Like one of, one of the big ones is, is that the university is a huge anchor there. And the majority of the students in the university, uh, the University of Windsor, they are international students. And we know that international students generally come to Canada to study because they want to settle down here. They want to find a job here. They want to build a family here. They want It's an easy way for them to get down to Canada. And University of Windsor, not the most competitive school, so it's, really, it's pretty easy for international students to kind of break in to uh, Ontario. And um, when they're there, generally, a lot of them end up staying at Windsor. Um, so the university is a big anchor to bring people in. Then there's a bridge project. So uh, the bridge from Detroit to Windsor is the most not populated, um, the busiest bridge in North America, right? So now they're building a second bridge there. So that's bringing in more than 3,000 employees. Um, and then Quicken Loans, that is a that is a, the largest mortgage originator in the USA. They've opened their head office in Windsor, right? So Windsor has a lot going for it um, within the ne- next couple of years. They're building a brand new mega hospital. There's a lot of development going on here. Acquisition prices made sense. But more importantly, I'm a cash flow oriented investor. So I like to get assets that cash flow. And Windsor is one of those few markets in Ontario that cash flow quite aggressively. And what's the, just out of curiosity, so vacancy rate, is it pretty easy to rent places out yeah, in Windsor? Yeah, it's, it's less than 3% there. It's about 29 I think. 2.9%. Great. Yeah. Um, Student rentals, obviously, are having some trouble now, but <laughs> right. that's, I'm pretty sure that's with uh, every university. Well, let's let's maybe talk about that. Um, there's a lot of different directions we can go here, but how has COVID impacted your uh, portfolio or, or has it? And uh, has it has it also changed your um, changed your strategy moving forward? And and, and has it aged you? <laughs> yes, it, it definitely has. Right. So one of the big things as a newer investor is, is that I have I am still learning a lot of the times and I've never been through a cycle downturn. If anyone can be a good investor in a in a appreciating market, right? But the best investors can handle ups and downs. That's what makes you a well-rounded, true, full real estate investor. And I've never had that um, 
I guess, downturn just yet. So when COVID first hit, honestly, I was very nervous because I was getting to the point where I was over leveraging myself. I was very confident in my ability and I guess I was getting a bit cocky. So with, I would I would fund some down payments and even renovations online to credit, right? So like I didn't even have the money available. Um, so like I was just acquiring, 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 funding, 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 and I was over leveraging myself too thin. And it was at a point where when COVID hit, I was like, oh crap, like what is this going to do to real estate prices? This could be the moment where my portfolio gets wiped, right? By growing too aggressively, taking on too much risk. And if tenants don't pay, I'm definitely screwed. Like I can't service all of this debt. Um, so immediately what I did was, is that I proactively reached out to all of the tenants, right? I got my property manager to reach out to all of the tenants. I wrote up a letter and said like, Hey, these are all of the government programs. If you guys are need some financial assistance, right? So I literally gave all of the websites and descriptions of every single program that they could apply to. Um, then I let them know that, um, if rent is not paid, please let me know beforehand so we can work out a payment plan if there's financial difficulties. But if I don't hear back from you, I'm assuming you're going to pay rent. And as business per usual, uh, for procedural purposes, I will have to issue uh, an N4, which in Ontario is basically uh, non-payment for rent, right? I will have to issue this for standardized process to help keep me safe as well um, for documentation and all of that. But I want to work with you. I don't want to evict you. I know this is your home. Everyone's going through tough times. And it worked out. All of the tenants paid rent. The only tenants that didn't pay rent that I inherited, um, but... Like there, there wasn't much I could do there. I got the property prices so cheap, um, but now they're paying rent again. But anyone that I tenanted, they're all paying. I think that it comes down to I chose good a good location in Windsor, and also my all of my products are newly renovated, so I usually get the cream of the crop for tenants. Um, and in terms of my strategy and how that changed during COVID, uh, like I was mentioning earlier, student rentals getting hit pretty hard. I have confidence in the student rental market in the long term, um, just because like as a former university student and obviously all my friends just graduated as well. Like I know the importance of university and shaping someone's behavior, personality, building some of your best experiences in life. Nobody wants to do university from home. Like I, I, I'm pretty sure if everyone had the choice, they would want to go back to campus because like interaction and, and, and like social, it's a whole point, like being right? in a social environment. Yeah. That's an entire point of university. So I am pivoting my strategy, believe it or not, to buy some student rentals now because the acquisition prices have fallen off quite significantly and a lot of investors are getting scared. And when I see scared investors, I see opportunity, right, to get things at low acquisition points. And assuming that things normalize, of course, you're going to see these prices rise back to where they were before because the rental yield is going to normalize back to where they were before. So thus, the prices will rise back to where they are before as well. Um, when universities reopen back up. So I'm just taking advantage of it now and I'm renting these student rentals out for very cheap prices just so that I break even. And when things pick back up, I'll turn it around and then I'll rent it back out at the standard prices, get that nice appreciation and also get that huge cash flow. So, you know, when we think about student rentals and, and well, apart from student rentals, when you think of 20 doors, you think of a lot of work. It sounds like you you have a, a property manager. Can you talk a, a little bit about um, how you built out your team? Uh, because obviously this has all happened in two years. It sounds like you've learned a lot, uh, made some mistakes, uh, but it sounds like you're in a pretty good place, at least with the tenants you're vetting uh, and and the systems you have in place. And we, and we should clarify, Austin, you are absolutely not on the tools, right? 
start on the tools? Yeah, you're not doing these renovations yourself. Oh, hell no. Hell <laughs> no. <laughs> nah, no. <laughs> um, yeah, in terms of building the systems out, um, kind of, it, it's it's a work in progress. It really is because you're going to run across people that you're going to hire and then fire and then you're going to have to find new people. I think at this point, my teams are pretty solid. How I went about it is, is that there are a couple of ways that you can go about it. The main thing that I do first is, is that I would search if there's an investor community in the area. So let's say that I want to invest in Winnipeg. I will search real estate investing Winnipeg on meetup.com and on Facebook. I would join the group and I would contact with local investors. I would speak with them. If I'd got to do coaching calls, I'll pay for coaching calls. But I just want to be able to get my name out there for the local community because you need boots on the ground people in any area you invest in. If you have no boots on the ground people, no one's looking out for your best interest except for your agent, your property manager, and... uh really the people who you have on payroll, you want someone that is another investor who's going to like kind of be there for you and help you along the way. That's the first thing I do. Uh, second thing is that I ask them, which agents are you guys working with? Do you have any recommendations? Um, and then I'll get a list of agents. I'll contact those list of agents, right? And I'll get to know which one I like the most, which one I buy with the most, and then choose that one. And then now it's contractors, right? Contractors, exact same thing. Usually when you work with an agent, an investor-oriented agent, they already have contractors in the Rolodex. They have property managers on the Rolodex um, because like a lot of these investor-oriented agents, they work with long-distance investors as well. So they do have their teams in place. So I will ask these agents that I'm speaking with um, like who they recommend for contractors. And on top of that, I'll ask investors um, who they recommend the contractors. A lot of investors won't give out their contractors. It's it's like asking, like, do you want to have sex with me? Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's a very... It's a, it, it's a topic that's very sensitive for them because no one likes to share the contractor. Um, they do work for cheap. They do it well. So you want to keep them on rotation on your projects. So I, I ask them anyways. I get all of that list together. Then I interview these contractors as well. Have you ever worked with a long-distance investor? If they say no, like right off the bat, I'm not going to be your guinea pig to scratch you off, right? If you have, like what are the systems in place that you guys do? Like do you guys communicate on WhatsApp, video call, live, a live walkthrough of the property? Like I get a sense of which one I like the most. And then I hire them. Same thing with property manager. Property manager, you I generally like to ask investors more because if an investor is happy and using a property manager, um, really I don't see why they would I don't see why then a property manager would treat me any differently. Um, so I, I'll, I'll go with an investor recommended property manager. But really everything is a recommendation based business in real estate. I'm just thinking about um, so you've got a lot, you've got 18 doors in Windsor, you've got two in Toronto. Um, yeah. what other markets are you, are you analyzing and, uh, are you going to stay in Ontario? Do you think? And uh, like, I guess, I guess my thinking here is like a lot of people want to be driving distance to their, to their rentals, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. hear that a lot. Um, are you going to try and stay focused in the Ontario area or are you going to expand uh, across Canada? Um, I've been looking at other markets as well. I've been looking at Moncton, um, cash flow there seems to be pretty good. I'm not, I don't let distance worry me because at the end of the day, a lot of people are investing in real estate to build wealth and to help retire from their job. Right. Um, and basically if you are investing in your backyard and you're getting used to managing everything yourself, that's not retirement. You're creating a second job for yourself. So investing long distance has forced me to build systems out and get used to managing things long distance, right? I got into real estate to create cash flow and to be able to travel and enjoy my life in the in the future. Um, so if I'm going to manage these properties myself and I don't have trust in my team, 
it's going to be an issue, right? So I've just learned that long distance is fine as long as I take a manage a management position and put these teams together and I'm able to communicate th- with them through the phone. So I've been looking at other markets across Ontario. Yes, so, so markets like Sarnia, markets like I've been looking at Belleville. There are other cities across in Ontario where the cash flow is pretty good. I've been looking at Moncton as well. Um, so in, in the Maritimes region, um, because again, cash flow there is good. But like I, I have not dug down into fundamentals of the city yet because obviously I want to make sure that I'm investing in a city that is fundamentally strong. Because at the end of the day, uh, yeah, like cash flow gets you to early retirement. But if you want to be wealthy, you're not going. You're never going to be wealthy off of cash flow. You get wealthy off of appreciation. So you need that fine, ba- fine balance between the both of them. Um, but yeah, I've been looking at other markets for sure. And, and in terms of cash flow, like when you're analyzing a deal, like what numbers do you have to hit for it to make sense to pull the trigger? Yeah, so I looked at cash on cash return, which is basically your year, your cash flow per year your net cash flow per year divided by your net investment. So that, so what that metric tells, tells me is that for every dollar I invest in this property, how much is it paying me back? So at a 20% cash on cash return, if I invest $1, this property is investing, is giving me back 20 cents on my cash. Um, not ROI, just cash and cash return. So for me, I try to look at at least 25% cash on cash return on my investments after refinancing the property. Because obviously when I refinance, that's going to bring my initial investment down. So I try to look for about 25% cash on cash return and appreciation equity pay down. I don't look at that too much. Um, if they come, like obviously equity pay down will come by nature. So I really don't look at that too much. Um, and appreciation it, for me, it's the cherry on top of everything. Um, but yeah, so 25% is my hurdle rate. Well, yeah. And if you're, if you're in for the long haul, um, that appreciation will come, right? Um, you know, I, I love this idea of, uh, of investing in markets that are outside of your area that you live because it forces you to kind of do the work up front, put the systems in place, uh, and and then you can kind of relax, right? You're, you're 25, you're managing 20 doors. Um, how much time – and you work at a bank, right? So you, you have yeah, – you correct. still have a full-time job obviously. Uh, how much time uh, are, you, are you putting into to the real estate investing right now? Yeah, so I'm putting a lot, a lot of time. I want to say it's 30 to 40 hours a week. And the reason being is because I'm still growing and I'm still, I have a lot on the go. So I have, I also kind of organize a meetup down here in Toronto. Uh, I'm actively acquiring. I'm actively kind of managing um, the, the the contractor and all of these projects on the go, tenant turnaround. So it is busy right now because it's not stabilized. But I envision once everything is stabilized, Really, maximum will take me five to six hours a week, maximum, if everything is stabilized. But I'm still in the growth stage. I'm still in the stabilization of a lot of properties. So it's pretty demanding in time. Mm-hmm. You know, we like we said earlier, Austin, we brought you on because there's an article in Toronto Life called I'm 25, live with my parents and own 20 rental properties. <laughs> Here's how I did it. And I from... I would imagine that first of all, you've had a lot of people probably reaching out, wanting to wanting to know more and wanting to understand uh, how you did it um, and and learn from you. Um, have you had any negative responses uh, to that article? 
Oh yeah, def- most definitely. Uh, I would say eighty percent of the comments are negative. Twenty percent of them are positive. <laughs> do you think? <laughs> do, you, do you think Toronto Life did the photo? Because the photo is like a pretty hilarious photo of you lying on a couch in a suit with your socks oh, yeah, off. I don't know. The, it's like <laughs> yeah, the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> it's like, do you think it was a, that was the photographer's <laughs> Yeah, it was so weird. Like, even my friends just like, put some damn socks on. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm so yeah, wealthy, yeah. I don't wear socks anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I definitely got a ton of pushback on that article. So really, I wasn't... This is the one thing I realized with the media, is, is that first thing is I didn't necessarily write the article. I got on four or five phone calls, right? Uh, an hour phone call each gave my details and whatever was included was included. Whatever was not included was not included. So one thing that the article really skimmed over that is super important detail is majority of my properties I'm partnered with. So I own 50% stake in it, but I like, they don't mention that and it's capital partner. So for those who don't know who capital part, what capital partners are, people give me a hundred percent of the capital for renovations, down payment, closing costs, and they bring the financing, they bring the borrowing capacity. Right. And what I do is I do all of the active work, do the deal management, this and that deal with the headaches for the next five, 10 years. And when we refinance that money out, it goes back to the active partner. That was not mentioned in the article. And that was a huge detail, right? Like, cause it, like no matter how fast I'm going to, I wanted to scale, there's no way I'm buying 20 properties all by myself in, in two years, right? Like a burr takes four to six months to execute in two years. That would be four properties, not 20 properties. Right. So I was leveraging other people's money. So that's one thing that they missed out. Another thing is, is that when they were advertising it, they said that I was poor. I was like, I never mentioned that I was poor. I didn't come from a well-off family. That's all I said. Minimum wage working family. But they said I was poor. I was like, Jesus Christ, like what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, media doesn't have much integrity. So it is, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, so a lot of the kickback that I was getting was one, how is this guy holding a ton of mortgages? Um, and again, so I can answer that by it's partners, right? right partners right. is how I'm holding a lot of these mortgages. And another thing is, is that, ah, oh, like this, this, this kid is, uh, like he's laundering money, all of it. Like people just don't want to believe it. There's a crab in a bucket mentality where, or, or like there's a, there's an analogy where basically you're in a poppy farm, all of them are uniform size. And when one poppy grows longer than the other, all of the other poppies in the farmer try to cut it down. So it's the same size as every other poppy. And it, it, that's the mentality I think the general public has. So when one person succeeds, they can't believe it. And they just talk a bunch of crap. Right. right. Um, but yeah, so a lot of negative feedback. So that was one of the things. Another thing was just like, I have $0 equity, which how does, I don't even understand how that makes sense. How could I have $0 equity, but 20 properties? Um, uh, so that was another thing. And cash flow, a lot of people thought, for whatever reason, they thought it was cash flow negative, which in the article, I explicitly say I'm cash flow positive on all of my properties, even after refinancing. People just don't take the time to read through the article. But you know what? Like in the first, I got I got a bunch of death threats that I, I totally ignored. And none of it fazed me. <laughs> yeah, none of it fazed me at all. Um, but basically, death after the first a little, week, That seems a little much, doesn't it? Oh, I, got, I got shared in a landlord death group. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> is it? Yeah. I mean, I, there's like this, the negative sentiment, obviously in the, uh, in the, like the anti-landlord kind of movement, um, but also probably because of affordability, uh, which is, there's obviously a disparity probably growing in the Windsor area as a result of just being, you know, of, 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 
uh, development going on, but also kind of all the bedroom communities around Toronto and and areas in Ontario that have seen huge capital appreciation over the last, you know, five years or so, um, even longer. So, I mean, is, is that kind of what you think is triggering a lot of it? Yes, I do think that is definitely triggering it. Um, but like the one thing I want to say is, is that capital appreciation at the simplest form is due to supply and demand, right? Like it, it comes down to economics. And when there is, and we know that Canada has a huge supply issue, right? There's a lot of demand. There's a lot of immigrants coming into Canada, specifically in Ontario. Uh, there, there's a ton of over, I think they were projecting for 200,000 plus in immigration uh, every year. Um, so that, that's a ton, right? And it's going to make that issue a lot worse. And what we're seeing is that in the city, um, a lot of the policies that are being implemented is really just, it, it's like, oh, we're going to make it more affordable by requiring, that by making mortgages less strict so you can qualify for more mortgage. That is so stupid because what that does is it fuels demand. It doesn't solve the supply issue, right? You're, you're refueling demand. You got to solve the supply issue of the equation, not the demand. And all of these new policies, they're not doing anything to solve the supply. All they're doing is just fueling more and more demand. They're trying to make things more affordable, but making things affordable drives demand again, and it soon becomes unaffordable again. So really it's a supply issue. And how what I said, and I, this was the one uh, comment that I responded to, I didn't respond to really any of the, the negative hate. But one thing that I did specify is, is like, look, everything is supply and demand issue. The price increase is because there's a lack of, um, there's a lack of supply of housing in the market. What I'm doing is I'm buying these single family houses. I'm converting them to legal duplexes. I'm buying these duplexes. I'm converting them into triplexes, right? I'm taking these rundown piece of crap houses and I am renovating them to a beautiful standard and renting them out. I'm actually improving the community. I'm not, I'm like, there's differences, right? Like I'm not a slumlord. I'm buying things, adding more housing units, which theoretically increases supply, which should make things more affordable, but it's just the, the demand supply is so off right now. Um, and I'm also buying like properties that are run down. I'm, so I'm trying to make the neighborhood look nicer. Uh, but you know what? No matter what you do, you're always going to get haters. So I've just learned to deal with it and just kind of do my own thing. Um, I don't let it bother me at all. Uh, so Austin, we have uh, we have this segment called the Five Wire, five quick questions about you, and and we'll do the Toronto edition. Uh, can you stick around for that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, awesome. So first question is, what is your favorite neighborhood in Toronto? What is my favorite neighborhood in Toronto? Yes. Um, do, 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 do. I would say my favorite neighborhood is I like North York. I'm a big fan of like. Korean, Asian, Japanese food. So <laughs> that's where all the good restaurants are. So yeah, I would say North York. Excellent. Right on. So in North York or somewhere else, favorite bar or restaurant? Favorite bar on oh, all my favorite. Okay. Favorite restaurant. I can answer. Um, probably it, it was called goo before it got renamed. It's a, it's a Kaya. It's a Japanese bar food where you can get drinks and buy snacks. I don't remember the exact name because they changed the name re- recently, but it's it's called Japan. It's like a Japanese izakaya. Nice. We have goo here as well, like G U U. I think. No, yeah, G-O-O, but they changed the name. No, no. oh, that's goo. That's yeah. regular goo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's confused. All right, what is one book that you would recommend to anyone listening? One book I'd recommend to anyone: um, "Your Money or Your Life" by Vicky Robbins, personal finance classic. It will. It basically helped me realize that. 
everything I'm tra- everything in life I'm trading my life energy and my time for, and time is not a renewable resource. So pick and choose where you want to trade your life energy. That's a good one. That's one we haven't had. Yeah. This is this is an interesting question for how how old are you now, Austin? Twenty five, I think. Twenty five. Twenty five. Okay. Well, this is we usually ask uh, people a little older than you this question, but what is one piece of advice you'd give your eighteen year old self? Eighteen year old self. Done a lot in seven years. Yeah, it's actually it's been a busy seven <laughs> years. <laughs> one piece of advice, I would say, don't chase things for money or prestige. Chase things that you are that are genuinely going to make you happy, happy, and are passionate about. Because for the longest time, what made me upset, sad, and not satisfied with life is by always wanting more money and more prestige and doing things because society tells me to do it. Um, I. I'm getting much more fulfillment now by living life on kind of my own terms and doing things that I want to do. And for things I don't want to do, I, I, I just choose not to do it, right? Like I'm, I'm selective and I don't care what other people think, right? A big thing is, is that when you're a teenager, everyone's opinion matters and you want to try to please everyone, especially your peers. Um, and that is, oh, that's just an artificial relationship, right? Your real friends are going to be there. They're thick and thin, no matter if you change or if you're the same or whatever decisions you make. So um, yeah, it would just be to chase your passions and, 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 and do things that you enjoy, not because others are telling you to do it. Great answer. Last question. What is something you have bought in the last year or two for under a thousand dollars that has changed your Over life? Over a thousand bucks? Yeah, under a thousand dollars. Under a thousand bucks. Oh, I'm, I'm a frugal person. So everything I buy is like under a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you remind me so much of a guy we know in Vancouver. It's, yeah. it's incredible. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's one Austin in every province. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me think. Uh, a laptop. So I bought a, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, so this actually kind of gives some more insight into my frugality. I needed a new laptop last year. And I don't do anything on my laptop other than business work and maybe watch a movie here and there. So no gaming or anything like that. So I didn't need anything intensive. So I bought a used laptop that was five or six years old that has an i7 processor for 250 bucks. And I was like, in two years, if I wanted to sell this laptop, I could still sell it for 200 bucks. So the depreciation over that two years is 50 bucks. Um, yeah, so like that just gives into insight into how frugal of a person and what extent <laughs> I go to save money. <laughs> Hey, it served you well. Well, thanks so much, Austin, for your time today. That was a that's a it's a really interesting story, and uh, yeah, we'll have to check back at yeah. some point to see and see where you're at. We're Sounds not like you're moving fast. We're not we're not big Instagrammers, but uh, I'd like to follow you on Instagram. And how how can other people follow you on Instagram? Yeah, so Instagram is definitely the best place to follow me. You can follow me at Austin A U S T I N Y E H six, like Toronto six. <laughs> nice. Right on. Well, thanks again, Austin, for your time. Awesome. Thanks so much, Adam and Matt. This is really fun. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Austin Ye out of Toronto. Man, that did not disappoint. What a great conversation. Really enjoyed that conversation with Austin. And if you are at home and you just listened to that podcast, you're probably thinking, I should start buying some more real yeah, estate. Yeah, there's or only maybe two I'm things you're thinking as action. Yeah, I'm oriented. Not, I'm as not. I should be. I'm not moving quick enough, or right. I've, or I've made a series of mistakes, <laughs> or I better get down to the garage to start working on that time machine. Yeah, no kidding, yeah. no kidding. Um, but but uh, inspiring. It, it is an inspiring episode. And uh, man, what else do we got before we cut for the week? 
One uh, thing we got before we cut for the week is uh, thank you so much for all the reviews. I right. We've been sending out Vancouverism like crazy. It's That's Larry, Larry Beasley's book, signed copies. Yeah. They're headed out. It, we're potentially missing a few. So if you haven't received it yet, uh, maybe touch base with us again. But uh, yeah, we're getting those all out. So thank you for your patience for everyone that reviewed us. Uh, we really appreciate it. That's great. Yeah. You Hold can, tight can, though, because they are coming. We're doing an inventory. There's uh, There's been a ton of books that have gone out though. So yeah. hopefully everybody uh, enjoys the book and thank you so much for the review. You can still review even if you don't want a book. Yeah, you can. You're welcome to review. It helps the show grow. It does help the show grow. That's for sure. Um, it's the nicest compliment you can pay the show if you're if you're enjoying it by either getting in touch or leaving us a review. And actually, we had a great... We've had a lot of people get in touch recently, but I, I think this is our first fan who's ever gotten in touch from Mexico. From the Baja Peninsula. He's from La Paz, Alejandro. He said, hello, guys. I'm your fan from La Paz, Mexico in Baja State. Uh, sounds like he lived here back in 99. I like Vancouver a lot. I had the opportunity to live there back in 99 when I was 18 years old. I was studying English in Gastown. Gastown was... Uh, Are you just like... You're, you're I'm just, just paraphrasing. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, Gastown was an interesting... Uh, yeah, no, he didn't say anything more about Gastown. <laughs> <laughs> I lived for a year and fell in love with Canada. Running in the morning listening to your podcast is the best. I want to go again to Vancouver with my family and enjoy a couple of weeks next year. I would like to buy a property someday in the future with the purpose to enjoy summertime there and escape the long, hot summers here. Thanks for your cool podcast. I love it. Also, I'm in the real estate market and developing business here. Hey. Isn't that that's awesome? A, that's awesome. That's definitely awesome. And interestingly enough, uh, in 99, I was 18 and I was in Latin America. Yeah, you were down El Salvador way. I was down in El, down El Salvador way. Yeah, exactly. And it, uh, it's funny, but he was here, so he was on his flex here. I was on my flex five. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, no, it wasn't five. It was only one and a half maybe. Uh, but <laughs> we, were, we were all doing our flexes in, a, in each other's countries. Uh, but it was a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually legitimately flexing too because I was in better shape back then. Um, what else? What else? We got VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head right. over there. This is where we haven't even mentioned the Sellers Club this week. No. I think we're not even going to bother. Well, you know what? You are you are invited to the Sellers Club. You are invited to get the best resources for selling your property for top dollar in the shortest amount of time. But here's the thing. Sign up, get in touch. A lot of people that are getting in touch right now, we are heading into December. There's still opportunities to list your home. Or if you're thinking now about the new year or the spring market, this is a great time to reach out as well because we can start helping you prep your place to, before it hits the market. There's usually a, a, you know, a couple weeks to um, you know, six weeks kind of a run-up. Um, and if you're starting to declutter and if you've been there for quite some time, this is the time to start. You know doing what? It. It, at least start thinking about it for sure. Uh, yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be a stressful week and a half. It can be, you can, you can take that process and, and extend it. So yeah. get in touch for sure. Yeah, let us help you undeck the halls. That's right. Right. <laughs> Before you get ready to hit the market. <laughs> right. So head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for the Sellers Club. We've got the live wire. This is our weekly mailer with things like the deal of the month. The stats go out before anywhere else. And right. also stats, you want to dig into sub markets, 
That's what you have to do if you're interested in real estate. To understand what's going on, submarket is everything. We have stats that can help you do that. Those For go sure. out on the live wire. We also have private client services. And Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information. It's free. It's at your fingertips at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. There is really no better way to look for real estate in the city of Vancouver or in surrounding areas. That's right. So head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. If you want to talk about that or anything else, give me a call at 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that secret line info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah, and new restrictions coming out tomorrow. Uh, do your part. Please stay home and uh, social distance. And There's yeah. a light at the end of this tunnel now. There, there That's is the a exciting light. part. Yeah, there is for sure. But it's going to be a long holiday season, so stay safe out there. Yeah, stay safe. 2,000 faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 